Welcome to the AI Business Podcast, where we feature conversations with interesting guests at the intersection of artificial intelligence and business. Hello. Welcome, everyone, to the AI Business Podcast. Uh, I'm Ben Wodecki, and it's an absolute honor to be joined by Mark Becky from Omdia. Mark, how's it going? I'm great, man. How are you? I'm well. Thank you for asking. Mark, this is the one that got away. We're recording this again, having uh, an issue earlier in the year, but it's good because it means that we can talk more about the topic, and that today is generative AI. So for those not in the know, Mark, briefly, what is generative AI? It's a, uh, it's a term used to describe AI that has been created, you know, for something completely new. So it's that simple of a term that means that, you know, when AI has been used in a lot of different ways, but usually not to create something absolutely new. And so that can be anything from, uh, you know, words and documents uh, to images and automated code or um, actually in some of the really amazing things, new drugs or in, in different types, used, used in ways to make something new. That's basically the, the, the definition. So the best way to describe it is it's, it generates something, right? Generates something new. Yes. And we'll come on to why you specifically say new later on. And the reason why we're talking about this is because it's everywhere. This year, it's, in my opinion, the year of generative AI. So DALI, Stable Diffusion, Mid-Journey. Mark, you've been monitoring this for a fair while. What's kicked off this year? Why suddenly this year? Yeah, um, it's interesting. You know, I've talked a bit about this, and, and uh, I will uh, kind of start this little bit of discussion here and this this kind of explanation with the fact that uh, we're analysts, so there's interesting uh, dynamic between analysts and uh, journalists, and you know we see jobs a little bit differently. So it's fun to work with you because you are your job is to report, right? It's what's going to happen, what's going on right now. Our job is a little more uh, the analysis. So what what will happen, right? What's going to happen when something does this? And it's not as reactive in the sense that we're trying to think about, is this, you know, it's the idea that is it a trend or a style, right? Or is it, a, is it you know, something like that when you just using that as an analogy. So I'll back that up by saying there has been a lot of splash this year around this. And what we've spent our time is, is kind of dissecting the splash from the the trend what will be the trend but what's really sparked all this are these what's called large models uh, that were created through open source projects like OpenAI. Uh, there were the most well-known one is OpenAI, but uh, some of the bigger hyperscalers have uh, messed around with these things and what the idea was from project was you know, if we can feed a model the just ridiculous amounts of data and, you know, use computer uh, and do this really cheaply, as cheaply as we can to give it as much data as possible, then would we have better out outputs, outcomes, right? And that whole idea was, well, let's just work with language. We have so much language out there, so much data that's got language in it. Let's see if it would ingest all this and see what essentially deep uh, learning models would do in parsing that out and giving you an output, right? 
So what happened this year and last year is um, GPT-3 was uh, introduced about two years ago as part of OpenAI. And this is that ongoing process of kind of evolved sense of that. And what happens with technology, you know this, is a lot of times there's a lot of experimentation. It's, it's built for research. It's not necessarily built for doing something specifically to make money, right, or anything like that. It's just kind of playing around. And I think that's where we kind of saw more and more of these open source ideas uh, bloom into, well, here's an idea. Here's something we can do. And it caught a lot of attention, particularly around the um, image generation from text, right? So that that's the one that's kind of um, really caught everyone's attention. But the idea, so we got here because... Open source is uh, pushing forward. People are experimenting with it, and you're starting to see results. That's kind of the long answer. So, Mark, the reason why I wanted to speak to you about this is, you know, at AI Business, we're looking for the business angle. And in my opinion, you've been one of the most vehement voices in terms of where is the business use case? Where is the example? Can you talk us a little bit about your views here? You know, is there a business use case from something like DALI? What's, what's your view? Yeah, there there is, but you know, I think it's kind of fun to take a little bit of a step back, right? And again, think about what I said a little bit earlier about technology innovation, and that what what happens at the front end of a, a disruptive technology, which this is, is you get a lot of experimentation. You have lots and lots of people trying things, and when VCs enter the equation, that doesn't necessarily mean that they see the end result as being a brand new kind of product, right? Sometimes they're just looking at, you know, building value that of some sort of company that just might get bought, right? That's that's what happens so much of the time is the exit strategy for companies that come through VCs is not, you know, a unicorn. It's really being bought by somebody else and make money and move on. And I think we're in that stage, you know, we're in that, we're clearly in that stage. There's a lot of thinking and innovation uh, with generative AI that's splashy, but I clear, I would j- just say caution that most of the stuff, and we can talk about this in the categories because there's lots of different things, but when it comes to image generation from language, I don't see how that gets supported as a business necessarily, maybe components of it become something. Uh, but I, I, you know, what, what, how do you make money at that? And, um, we've seen stability AI come out and say, well, we've got the studio thing that we're going to sell and yeah. Okay. We'll see how that goes. You know, it's, you know, people are playing with it cause it's free. Uh, are professionals going to use it? I don't know, but it always comes back to, you and I've talked about this before, what problem are you trying to solve? Is this a problem that needs solving? And one thing that we're really talking about more and more these days, and you're going to love this, comes into ethics and responsible AI, but it really makes sense across the board is somebody says, uh, as a a company asks the question, can we do this AI? Instead of asking, can we do this AI? You ask, should we do this AI? And so we're very pragmatic. I don't see this 
taken off right now. It's it's a it's an early period. It's wait and see. You've seen all the mess that's happening around um, public domain, right? So you've got uh, so much of this, and we can I think we have some questions specifically to it. But that if you look at the surface of it, it's like, well, how does this play into? Because generative AI is trying to make something new. Well, that's a problem if you're using somebody else's data, which means somebody else did something. <laughs> and it may or may not be public domain, right? So that's an issue. But there are other areas where this is um, really very intriguing, and we can talk about that when it makes sense. Yeah, we, we'll come on to the legality point because it's an absolute minefield that we need to navigate. Um, but I wanted to, you mentioned Stability, who, for those who don't know, are behind one of the teams behind Stable Diffusion, um, but both Stability and Runway ML. Um, one of the three people behind it have gone on to make millions this year for their VC funding rounds, private funding rounds. The interesting thing is the Stability published Stable Diffusion 2 this year. So I'm going to hone in on the image for a second. We've had two text-to-image generators from that one company published in, the, in 12 months. How easy are these systems to develop, Mark? Because these are supposedly built on large language models. Have the people like Google, Meta been developing these for years or you know because to have two in a year to me that that seems like a lot but obviously you can tell us more yeah it's a good question and we explored it amongst our you know we have a kind of council our, our practice area for ai includes uh, six analysts and we sat down and pu pulled this apart a little bit a couple weeks ago and the question was is generative ai a new disruption what was the disruption that caused us back to what you said before or is it something that's evolutionary what was it caused by and you good examples for this is you know the the ai winter we had before what thought that ai winter was cheap compute right so if you think about it that's easy to say well you know deep learning and machine learning and uh natural language and computer vision have been around for years, but what made the difference in that acceleration was cheap compute. So we were looking at it and saying, what, what's going on here? What, what do we have? Do we have something that's new or is this evolutionary? And, and our, our decision was it's, it's evolutionary. So what you have is better understanding of data sets uh, was one part of it. Um, better understanding of what to do with this kind of evolved deep learning, which is called GANs. Um, GANs is a big deal in the sense, and what we surmised was this is hard to do, right? It is hard to do, but what's happened is you've got more and more understanding and better evolved use of deep learning. Uh, that would be kind of the, the simple, the, the kind of, roll-up answer, but that, that comes down to using GANs uh, to, which is a generative, the, the big generative piece, right, um, about how to use GANs to to make these things. So that that's, we think it's evolutionary. I'll jump on that because uh, ChatGPT, which is the hot one as we're talking, uses reinforcement learning, a new reinforcement learning technique, um, which OpenAI, the makers behind it, said that it would alleviate it from generating harmful uh, output. Now, that's interesting because it's underlyingly built on GPT-3, which, as many of our, some people will know, GPT-3 had very big problems with spouting harmful things, potentially harmful things, 
is that an effective use or do you see GANs as the kind of premier of example of, you know, perfecting and fine or fine tuning these models at the very least? Well, I keep getting kind of hung up if you draw, if you kind of come way back at a 50,000 foot level and think about these things, I keep getting hung up on the core use cases and why someone would use this, right? So let's, let's, let's talk about that for a second. So you look at these GPTs and, you know, they, they've got, there was an idea, um, gosh, it's been six or seven years ago when natural language started to really kind of move forward in, out of the winter uh, there were companies that sprung up that were going to do what we call a natural language generation, right? That, that That's really all this is, natural language generation. They, their, their use cases were automated journalism. And like, okay, well, what do you, are we, you know, do we have a, a massive need for automated journalists to, you know, like to write things? And it, well, and they kind of went through this, well, they can make, uh, you know, Baseball scores automate the you know they can do financial um, financial reports instead of having a human do it. You can do that. It's like, all right, well, okay. <laughs> what what then? So these companies formed, and one of them was called Narrative Science. I don't know if you remember that company or not, but um, it got bought, and the other ones kind of just kind of flopped around, right? So I I'm making this point because I say well. These were built on this idea. Is this a sturdy enough use case to automate language? And one of the ones that I've been looking at, um, some of these newer ones, that they, they're kind of a lot of spinoffs that Sequoia uh, has looked at. You know, so here's all these companies that are kind of, you know, kind of surfacing. And a bunch of them were talking about, well, you know, you have, you're going to need this to generate marketing content. And I was like, okay, for what? And it was, well, you know, you've got social media, blah, 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 all these different things. So I would call into question again, is that a sturdy enough use case that it would support a company going, well, you know, we don't have, our, our marketers are overburdened and overwhelmed and we can't pay them enough to write intelligent content that they think is good. So we're going to have to pay, you know, we're going to have to automate some of this. Makes no sense to me. Right. It doesn't. So I'm going, you know, again, thinking about these pragmatic use cases where somebody literally will make money as a company at some point, And I just don't see it. I just it's those are poor uses of it. And then now we're going to introduce all those other legal issues, which, you know, I, I just point to that on generation of language is not really a, a domain issue. It's just is it needed? <laughs> you know that's that one the other one you're getting into a whole other ball of wax when you're trying to recreate music or art and how it's used um you know just that's a mess as a purist in the journalism space i've obviously researched ai journalists it's a disgrace they don't work <laughs> i do see the the need for press release stuff alleviate journalism no um no i don't i don't i don't mind that it alleviates my stress but at the same time <laughs> I, I i i i'm a purist no on the marketing copy it's interesting you picked up on that there are a few of those yeah. platforms um and at ai business we have published a or we will be publishing on the 23rd of december we use several of them to try and generate a holiday ad okay um and they were terrible <laughs> frankly I, I shan't purely based on 
um, it was generic. Um, it was um, uh, portraying archetypal stuff. So the little girl wanted the little dolly. It wasn't great. Right. I, one thing you said at the top of the pod was that you were interested in the use case around drug discovery. Yes. So let's before we go into the legality and the and the murky stuff, mm-hmm. let's talk about something you actually like, Mark. Talk to us a little bit about right. that. All right, there's well, and I'll expand that. There's three, but the um, one of our colleagues is a specialist in healthcare AI, and um, they're using these GANs to create synthetic. They're using synthetic data to to create new recipes for drugs. And I mean, if you talk about how those the computations were done, and I'm not super clear on all this, but I'm just giving you a skim, but it was essentially you have all these pharmaceuticals working really hard to understand, um, you know, all the biology and chemistry that's going on here and put it together in, in a sense that there's so many different iterations that may or may not make sense. And then when you add that, when you use AI to do this, they are stunned with how these are creating things for them that are really needed. Uh, it's early days, and I know that you know these massive global pharmaceuticals are heads down on this and working on it. But that makes a lot of sense. And then you think about, you know, none of the there's the use case makes perfect sense, right? You're you're working on something that just couldn't get done. Uh, well otherwise so I just love that um, we'll see where it goes you know and, and how it how it ends up with them um, you know whether it's successful or not in, in a commercial sense but it looks promising the other one there's two um, that I like is a there was a startup that thought about um, kind of supercharging a, an assistant on a web crawler Right. So think of it as you're you're using Chrome and uh, you type in a natural language question and it pulls disparate pieces around uh, to help you navigate software. So think of it as this supercharged assistant that will go to various places to pull answers and suggestions. And it's just almost the way we wanted to do things in the past. And it's a startup. I can't think of the name adept. I think it's called uh, of some very brainy scientists that uh, are getting a ton of attention, but just as an illustration of a pretty cool use case, it's generate, it's using generative AI to, to do something pragmatic. Um, and the last one does have a little bit of a problem as we know, there's been some legal issues, but the, I, the overall idea around automated code development, uh, makes sense to me. So that's like you know, when we're thinking about how, you know, you have to dedicate a lot of resources to writing mundane pieces of code. Uh, what would, would we be better served if that was done automatically by generative AI? And I think the answer is yes, though there are clearly some, some suits right now and you have to sort through it. Uh, but those are the three I think make a lot of sense. So for those of you listening that want to learn more about the drug discovery use case Mark talked about, um, please listen to our episode with Mark's colleague, Andrew Brosnan, who spoke with the team from Insilico. It's a great episode, a great conversation, and it, it really goes into a deep dive on that. Mark, let's talk about the coding bit then before we, so we're in, we're in the legal murky water now. 
the for those who don't know, Copilot made by OpenAI of ChatGPT and others and GitHub um, created uh, Copilot, which can help you with your code, automate snippets. Uh, hit with a lawsuit because there were claims that it was generating copywritten code snippets um, that were available in open source repositories. Mark, this is pretty scary stuff considering it's pretty new and it's already been hit with a lawsuit. Are you shocked by this? Are you surprised? How do you kind of view the co-pilot situation? You, you know, it'll be interesting to see how it, I guess the answer is time will tell, right? We, um, the, the it, it, it makes sense that when you're in this wild west of you know new stuff people are trying things out and they're not sure uh, what their exposures are and the risk is um, it'll be interesting to see how the courts decide if that's public or not right or whether it's it's proprietary or not but it begs the bigger question across the board that is not a new, problem right it's not a new problem to think about when you can use data and when you can't it's in the public domain or if it's protected by some sort of rights you know if it's intellectual property copyright you know whatever it is that is an old problem and i would say at the core generative ai this is the biggest barrier to anything going forward is the use of that data can you or can you not because now the, the other uses when you're when you're digging through data and you're making predictions right so if you're or if you're automating um you know uh, rpa things right all these different things those are totally different when you're using the data uh it's not competing with that proprietary data that it was fed with, right? All this generative stuff, this is the core issue. I think it's going to be one of the biggest core issues is can you or can you not, you know, reference these things if they in any way, shape, or form were protected? Uh, and it goes back, think of it any way you look at it. Uh, for 100 years or 200 years, you've got copyright laws on music, right? Any of that is protected. You have to have certain licenses to move forward. Um, you know, images, uh, it just goes on and on. Um, so, you know, will that sort out over time? Maybe, you know, and it may be the models will look at our, you know, you have to buy a license that protects, all, you know, it's like a pool for the, like they use for music, the aspect, aspect, uh, or whatever it's called. You know, if you buy that license, you can use certain pieces with permission. But it also seems to me that these are all a hassle um, to, and particularly if they're not really um, sturdy use cases like we talked about. Yeah, it's a new. It's it, it's not a new issue. I've been I spent three years writing about IP law elsewhere, um, and it's been you know a conversation that's going on for years in terms of authorship or inventorship that's still going to happen. I think we're so far ahead from that. Let's look at it from a music perspective. Mark is arguably Omdia's biggest music expert, as well as uh, one of its AI experts. From a music perspective, take uh, the idea of interpolations, right? And fair use. How does that stem into this sort of issue? Is it different? Is fair use going to come down to be 
Are we going to need to redefine fair use when it comes to AI? You know, how does it differ from someone copying a riff in a song? Well, I, I don't think it does at all. I think that, you know, there, the law is pretty, you know, when we law is the last thing that gets involved in all of these issues, but there's precedent here, right? I mean, for how many, it's gone on and on for years about how artists will fight when something gets used and they say, well, you took this riff or you took this piece without my permission, without my compensation. And they almost always win, almost always. So why would this be any different? It doesn't make any sense to me. And, and uh, you know, it, it applies to the art. Um, I just don't see, you know, if you can sit, if you, you're going to have a lot of artists fight and, and they should, um, and they're going to win. I, I don't see how they can't. It, it, there's just too much law, pre legal precedence that they, they wouldn't, you know, that to me, that's, that's the, again, it's like, well, well what the heck did you want to, does this make sense to do in the first place? <laughs> you know, why, why do it? To put it into analogy, something like chat GPT is Ed Sheeran and like previous usages, uh, Marvin Gaye. Oh, I'm getting flashbacks from my IP days already. Um, Mark, from the Wild West perspective, though, there are companies that are moving ahead. Shutterstock, Adobe have already turned around and said, we're going to offer it. Shutterstock are, in my opinion, the fastest movers in the Wild West that is generative AI. But then Getty Images that Rival have said, hold up. From an analyst perspective, is this surprising or are you expectant that someone's going to thrust ahead on this. Well, I'm glad you guys wrote about that. I kind of looked at the Adobe piece and uh, read through their requirements. And I think it's, uh, frankly, I think it's a little smoke and mirrors. So what they did is they wrote requirements that are pretty hard to hit. And so I said, you say, yeah, you can use generative AI if you meet these requirements, which is, do you have the permission of something that is copyrighted? And, you know, if you're the generator of this stuff, you go, I don't know. I don't know where it came from. You know, it's a, it's somebody, I took it from somewhere, so I don't know. But I, I think it's, think, I'll kind of put it this way. The, the, to me, the Adobe uh, requirements read like cover my ass, right? I'm covering my ass. You can try it, but you're probably not going to get through. That's my guess. That's right. And it doesn't tell you where, what images it sourced if it's an image it doesn't tell you if it's a video what videos it went through if it's a video i think one thing that was interesting to me mark and i'll ask you about this is i recently spoke at a westminster event on this and also present speaking was ico which is the uk's data watchdog and one of the officers from there admitted that they're monitoring this are you glad that they're monitoring this already or obviously given the case given how slow lawmakers and governance are, is that a good thing? Or do you think that more needs to be done faster? What do you think? It really plays into what we just talked about to me is that I think law is going to move relatively fast on this because there's so much precedent, right? They're just, they're, you know, when, when they move slow, it's like, they're not, they're not sure how to map something to precedent. You know, in this case, it's just copyright infringement, right? I mean, what, there's nothing different. What, where does law stand on you know, copyright or IP infringement, we've got tons of, uh, you know, precedent there. And so I think they're moving fast uh, because they can. Um, they don't move fast <laughs> otherwise, uh, but there's too much case law in, in, in place. So uh, 
I don't think I think it's going to be restrictive for for generative AI, especially after these lawmakers have only just probably gotten their head around crypto and NFTs. And now they've got this as well. Oh, my goodness. Mark, from a Omdia analyst perspective, what are you guys expecting for 23 in terms of generative AI? Is it going to wane and we find something new and shiny else, elsewhere to look at? Or is this thing just going to keel over and completely take over our lives? No. No, we. Um, it's a good question. I, and that takes me back to the front end when we talked about what we think the trend is. I think this is a sorting out period. And we're going to see lots of interesting, pragmatic uses for generative AI. They may not be the ones that are kind of bubbling up right at the second, like these, these shiny objects. I think that image, the image uh, generation and uh, the text generation are shiny objects. I don't think those are going to last. I mean, I, it could get proved wrong. Maybe pieces of things get incorporated. You, you and I talked about that before. I think somebody like Adobe... And I'll use an example, might say, you know, we're using AI. If you said, I want this to be this kind of color blue, or I want it to be evoke a Van Gogh-ish um, background, right? If it's a certain piece of something, then maybe they'll be able to, you know, you incorporate that into big things like Creative Cloud or uh, tools that uh, professional creatives use. There might be pieces of this, but... Nothing like I'm going to speak to it and it's going to make a, you know, the, the crazy stuff we're seeing now. I think that'll just get refined a little bit. Um, but we do think the more pragmatic and that's the cool thing about, you know, uh, open markets and uh, market-based economies. Uh, just the creativity that comes up with people think through these things, it evolves, right? And you start to get much more, I think we're already in that stage, you know, you get these People thinking about this a little differently and how do I do this? I'll give you one that I heard I thought was interesting on the language part. And it was, you know, you had companies that are building um, virtual assistants, right? Or chat bots. And part of the problem with building a chat bot is the training it takes. How long does it take to train? Um, some of them train on specific domains, right? So it's like, well, I have to know something about widget controls that, you know, whatever company to help somebody understand, blah, blah, blah. So it takes time. Um, what the promise of generative AI is that language, those models can, can actually speed up training for chatbots, right? So this is, it's not sexy, right? It's not, you know, it's somebody's buying into generative AI to help them train chatbots faster. Okay. That's boring, right? Sounds boring. Well, that's how it's going to go. You know, that's that that's what makes sense. There was a caveat to somebody saying that uh, this uh, executive, you know, Rasa um, is. Yeah. So they were talking about that. She said, well, it has to get cheaper, though, for that to happen. Right. So for us to use generative AI to train uh, chatbots, it's just going to have to get cheaper. It's not it's not cheap enough yet. But that's classic, you know, market push and pull and all that kind of good stuff. So um, those are the things that kind of come to mind. Uh, we will be watching, like I said, Andrew's right on top of all this, um, what's going on with dr uh, drug discovery and disease um, and how they're working on those things. It's going to be a really cool area to watch. And I'm, I'm going to keep an eye on the code development because I think that's that one can get a little more sorted out. 
um, than others. But uh, we're we're pretty bullish that it'll evolve to more pragmatic use cases. And my final question, Mark, as a big fan of disco, if someone managed to build a system that could generate new disco music, what would you do? Would you listen? Would you? I I think the people want to know. You know, there's. It's funny if you ever talk to artists and listen to their stories about what they, how they write music. Um, nothing's original, right? There's a, there's nothing original. Well, I I was inspired by this. My favorite story is about James Brown, uh, who you could call like singularly genius and um, original thinking. But even he, you said, and we, you and I have talked about this before. He considers instruments to all be drums. So he'd say, well, I want you to play this trumpet like a drum. I want you to play this saxophone like a drum. So it's a percussive, pop, 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 like that. But what he took his inspirations from it were, you know, there's little pieces he'd borrow from different things throughout his past. I mean, part of it was... Um, preachers, uh, gospel preachers, and how they spoke and the cadence of what they spoke inspired him to do these things. And then, you know, he pieced together all these different things. This is part of the human mind of creation is I'm borrowing something and then I'm going to tie it together to something that might be disparate. That's not possible with machines. I never, ever am going, I would stand on my ground of, um, nonlinear thinking and creativity is the sole proprietorship of humans. And it always will be. We're the ones that are going to create. Uh, an AI can only mimic or kind of say, this is something that I'm borrowing completely from and I cannot put together disparate ideas, right? So, you know, if you took that a step further and said, well, let's look at what Dojo Cat did, right? So she, she took elements of disco and then flipped it and put it into something else so she added these elements together and made something somewhat new right it's maybe a poor example but um, you know when artists are creative in that sense that's not necessarily something you'd say to an ai well if you keep saying well i want you to do what they did then obviously that's not original mark i'm gonna take something and i'm gonna say we better get up off of that thing because otherwise, <laughs> otherwise we're going to be talking about music all night long. Mark Beck, you... You know, I have to get on the foot <laughs> to get up off of that. That's my only James Brown reference. I would have used a please, 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 but that's that seems a bit begging at this point. Mark, <laughs> it's been a pleasure as always. Thank you so much for your time. All right, thanks, Ben. And for those listening, thank you for your time. Please stay safe and happy holidays. Thank you. To get more AI news and insights, visit our website at aibusiness.com. Until next time, thank you for listening.